calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. From personal stories to hot-button issues, we cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. people who kind of live in their own bubble and they're not really as exposed to other people's perspectives. So it's so nice to be able to bring people together. And the comedy is like, you know, once you make someone laugh, in a way you're on the same team. You've had an exchange. And I, I just feel like it helps so much. Good morning, y'all. How are you? I'm going to get straight into it. Welcome back to Awkward Second City. Uh, side note, I do apologize that this episode is late. It didn't come on Wednesday. Uh, that would be because I got, are you ready for this? Hand, foot, and mouth disease. Haven't heard of it? Yeah, because usually it's just like kids that get it. Like, I don't think adults get it that often. From my understanding of Googling for the past 72 hours, because yeah, I'm a hypochondriac. Um, and it came on very suddenly and was like a, a smidge scary because I am a what? A hypochondriac. Um, but what happens is you get a really bad fever really quickly. And by really bad, I got to like, got close to 103. It was like 102.8. And like, if you know anything about my body, which you don't, I range around like a 97 degree temperature. So the moment I'm at 99, I don't feel good. Uh, and so all of a sudden I'm at popping at like 102 after taking like ibuprofen. And I'm like, what the fuck is wrong with me? Um, anywho, so that happens. And then after the fever breaks, you get a rash where, let me tell you, you get ulcers in your mouth, real fun. And then you get this like painful, like blistering rash on your hands and feet. Uh, it's really not fun. It's really not fun to feel them coming in on your feet too. Cause it just feels like a thousand blisters, you know, that like prinkly, like feeling like someone's just like with a needle, just like tap, 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 tap. But what's been real fun for me, and I don't think this is like the norm, um, it's just spread all over my body. So it kind of looks like I have the chicken pox, but it's just like I've had it before. But it has like just like a rash. I don't know. So yeah, I'm on my second sick day. Um, fun little, you know, staycation for myself. Um, so again, I do apologize if the episode's late, but uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to allow it. I'm um, going to allow it. 
Anywho, I promise in the episode itself, I do not talk about it at all, but I just feel like if you've been with me uh, since the uh, inception of this podcast, uh, I've had some weird ass viral things. Like I got fucking Bell Palsy, um, Bell's Palsy, not Bell's Palsy, not Bell Palsy. Um, there was a time where it was like, does she have herpes? I don't, by the way, I don't have herpes. I've been tested a million times at this point, uh, which whatever, no shame if you do. Because um, I was at a point where I was like, I just want to know what this is. And the doctors were like, we don't, we don't know. And then it just went away. It finally went away. This year, actually, I dealt with it for like over a year. Um, and now I've got this weird viral thing. So yeah, it's been fun. And you guys have been on the journey with me. And so I can't thank you enough uh, for all the funs, weird health things. And uh, yeah, if you are around a kid that's been exposed to hand, foot, and mouth disease, wash your hands a lot. I guess I didn't. Because I was like to Aaron, I was like, how did I get this? Like, and like, because knock on wood, knock on no one else has yet like adult wise. And Aaron was like, I'm pretty sure like she put her whole mouth, her whole f- hand in her, your mouth at one point. And I was like, uh, I do think she was like feeding me food at one point. So I think, uh, I think we zeroed in on, on the moment that I got it. Anywho, kids, kids being kids, it happens. It's again, super contagious for kids. And it sounds like you just get it. Anywho, are you? Do you want to hear the episode? Do you want to hear, you know, what you came here for? I totally get that. I had my really good friend Danny Faith Leonard on this episode today. I'm really excited for you to hear it. Um, and she's also going to have a show in New York City if you're around at Midnight Theater on June 22nd. I will be there as a guest. I'm super excited to see the show because I do love her show. Uh, what's her show? That's a great question too, Natalie. You should probably say the actual title, which is Adult Sex Ed which is exactly what it sounds like, which is what I love. It's just like awkward sex and city. You know exactly what you're getting with it. You're going to learn about sex ed and also hear some hilarious comedians. And you learn a lot of shit because shockingly, our nation does not have the best sex education. Um, so that's why you should come if you're in New York City. It's a great time. Again, Midnight Theater on June 22nd. But we talk about, again, adult sex ed. We talk about what it's like to have um, – a show about sex and like kind of what happens like friends uh and you know strangers telling some pretty like intimate things that like maybe shouldn't be told to us but like we love the goss not that we tell anyone else but like it's it's a very i've talked about this before it's a very humbling experience but sometimes it's a very overwhelming experience as well as you're hearing some pretty like intimate stuff um private stuff and it it takes a lot to to have to be a type of person that feel that people feel that they can open up to. So again, that's why it's so humbling and so cool. Um, we talk about dating. We talk about all the things. We talk, you know, religion sprinkled in there. Uh, how relationships with our family affect, you know, our relationships in life. Uh, if you've never been to therapy before, or if you have been to therapy and you're like, yeah, no shit. Um, but yeah, it's a good episode and I think you're going to like it. 
And I can't wait to hear your thoughts. And then also this Friday, I will be in Black in Black Cat. I will be in DC at Black Cat with Awkward Sex and City for a show for Pride Month. And then after that, we are in Philly at Punchline Philly on June 28th. Uh, so you can go find those ticket links on my socials at my link tree. And I hope to see you there. Uh, I will be fully covered by then. Thank God. Like, you know, when you get sick and you're like, oh, well, I guess this was the weekend for this to happen. Um, even though I, I hate being sick in the summer. I hate it so much. It was such a gorgeous weekend and not being able to go out. I was so miserable. Like also like, you know, what a privilege. Anyways. Um, so yeah, listen to the episode. Can't wait to hear more. And you can follow Danny on the socials. I just had it up at Danny D-A-N-I Faith Leonard. So sorry, Danny D-A-N-I-F-L-E-O-N-A-R-D on the socials and go check out her show. That's just kind of what the pod is though. Like it's really evolved from like sex and dating into more of like uh every relationship that we're in whether it's like platonic or romantic or like familial 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 family um and how it all is really interconnected and like how we perceive dating and relationships and and things like that it's been really interesting I think that Usually it's not until people get a little older that they realize how much their relationships with their family members impact their dating style and their style in relationships. It's something Mm -hmm. that I've spent the past few years thinking so much about and talking so much about in therapy. But, Mm -hmm. you know, mostly I I think your, your experience watching your parents Uh, And their relationship, unless it went horribly wrong, Mm -hmm. you don't necessarily analyze what that relationship meant to you and how much you are choosing to emulate it and get stuck in their patterns. Yeah. And I think what's also hard to like, it's obviously hard if like your parents did not have a good relationship. You don't see good, like, like, for example, like you're a woman, you don't see good, like, um, balance of chores or like emotional like duties as well or like parent stuff but it's also when it's good you don't realize growing up that just because that works for them it may not be good for you and it may not be as good as you thought it was like you're like oh you're actually codependency and you don't realize that so then you're like super codependent in all these like different types of relationships or or things like that like just because it looks good for on paper like doesn't always mean that it is. Not that yeah. that's wrong either. I don't know. It's just so fucking like nuanced. Yep. Uh, in my family, uh, the and not my whole family. I think I'm just talking about my dad's family here. But the the men misbehave, and mm-hmm. or I mean, or just act, you know, however they want to, and the women keep their secrets. Oh, they and, keep their secrets. Yeah. That was something that I really had to think about of like, what is this part of me where I, I had always had friends that are like, I always had at least one friend in my life at any given time who was a major disaster. Mm -hmm. And I would help that friend so much and keep all of their secrets. Mm -hmm. And it was always really toxic. And I had to figure out where that came from. And it totally came from watching 
you know, my mom and, and me and my sister, like keep my dad's secrets and everyone, uh, all of the women in our family being like kind of submissive, even though in other areas of life, they're big and loud. Mm -hmm. So that's why, yes, it was something that I didn't realize until later because it seemed normal to me when I was growing up. Yeah, totally. And, um, oh my God, when you said that reminded me of something and yeah, I've been that person too, where you're like, when you're like the non-judgmental friend, uh, yes. how many times you get stuck with people's secrets that like bring you down, like, and it's like within a friend group or something like, I don't know, it's a lot. And it's something I really try to stay away from now myself. Like as you said that, and I was like, shit, I haven't thought about this in years, but it's a heavy, heavy load. That's like, it's trauma dumping and it's like dumping on not, um, fair. Like I was like trying to find a better word than fair. It was just not fucking fair. Yeah. Is trauma dumping a new, newer term? Um, I feel like I didn't learn it until COVID. Mm -hmm. Then I would be like, oh, here are these people in my life doing that. Here are the people I'm doing that to. Um, and I think it's more about learning, like, obviously you can vent to your friends, but it's kind of more being like, Hey, do you have the capacity? Like, I know a lot's going on for you too, Danny, but like, can you like, can I talk about X, Y, and Z real quick? And then you're like, yeah. Or you're like, you know what? Maybe not today. Like there's a lot of shit going on. I can't be there for you in that way. Rather than someone just like texting you 24 seven, calling you 24 seven, being like, we have to talk about this right now. Like this drop everything about this thing. Um, that's how I consider like trauma dumping. Yeah. Um, I went on a date last year or over a little over a year ago mm -hmm. with a man who was a, a trauma dumper. This is, and it was a first date. And I learned the term after the date when I told people what happened and they were like, oh my God, he trauma dumped. Mm -hmm. And um, <clears throat> he was someone who was clearly going through a really bad time in his life and possibly shouldn't have been dating. Mm -hmm. And there aren't, I feel like there aren't that many situations where I feel like, no, that person shouldn't be dating because who am I to judge? Like when someone's going to meet the right person. And I wouldn't want to think that just because I'm going through a hard time that I shouldn't be going on dates, but I feel like this man should not, he like maybe shouldn't have been in public. <laughs> oh, and no. um, I, I met him on an app and he was one of the rare people where I was able to find out his, like, I knew his full name for some reason. I don't really remember why. So I Googled him mm -hmm. and that was like, you know, the first big mistake I think is like when you're meeting someone on an app, I kind of feel like you shouldn't know everything about them before you meet up. Like, oh, I'm like the complete opposite. I'm like, if I, I want to know everything about you. So if I go missing, I've already got like a case, like a binder of stuff on you that I'll just like hand to a friend before. Like, well, I don't know. That's fair. That's fair. And maybe I should have, but I, I did. So I did this one. I Googled and I could already tell just from my search that he was going through a really messy, messy divorce oh, shit. and it was very public, which that's fine. I definitely have no problem dating someone who's divorced because it mm -hmm. means that they tried and yeah. they probably want to get married again yeah or you know or maybe they don't want to get married again but at least it, sh it shows like someone who knows what a commitment is 
Yeah, totally. And, and so I think that that's like, that's a great thing. And I definitely don't, don't judge that, but I could tell that that situation was messy. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I did the thing where we met up in person and it was the first thing he brought up because I wonder if he had gotten used to the fact that people probably started to Google before they, like most, I think really? a lot of women do Google before they go on dates. So obviously I would have found it. Mm-hmm. it came up right away. And he, he was like, you know, one thing you should know before we even start hanging out is I am going through the messiest. And I'm like, divorce, you don't say like, cause I, <laughs> cause I had, I truly had Googled the, the entire thing. Yeah. Um, but I know I didn't let on that. I Googled the whole thing. And the rest of the date, he, he told me about all of these other things that were going on in his life. And by the end of the night, I knew about all of his family members. I think I knew his therapist's name. I knew like there, there was just so much and he still tried to fuck me at the end of the night. (laughs) Oh my God. Oh man. I wonder how long that was a year ago. Yeah. A little over a year ago. I hope I should Google him and just, I actually like, I I have no uh, bad feelings towards the person. I thought he was like, so he he honestly would seemed like a really lovely person who was literally going through the worst shit of his life. Yeah. And uh I hope it cleared up. Yeah, and like it's kind of like you were saying like like who am I to judge like someone whether someone should date or not, but there are points in our lives where it's like oh you just you're just going through some shit, like you just can't be like you're barely there for yourself right now because it's really hard to be there for yourself in something like that, let alone bring someone new into it yeah um I'm always it's one I think divorce is a really good thing um I think divorce shows that like you said like you tried and also you don't want to settle and you always end up I think both sides always end up better because of it rather than having stayed in it whether it takes you a long time or a little time to get to that process or that that point of view but I am always a little suspect of someone dating while they're separated or while the divorce oh. is still happening. Cause it's like, that shit's new. Like that's, that is so much. There's no way I would personally not be ready for something. Like I'd be like, Oh, this is totally a rebound. You know? Yeah. Um, I've seen it happen though. I've seen, I've seen people be able to, to really get through a messy divorce and date someone but I have always been a little suspect I've always been like hmm and then for it to be yeah. so public too I'd be like fuck I feel like the only the only thing that I that I guess I can't judge is I know that like if people are successful or if there's a lot of money involved divorce could take years yeah so and I like, guess but if it's yeah but if it's early on in the process and like New York, it's at least a full year, right? At least you have to be separated for a year. I I feel like I don't know the answer to that. Um, but I know that New York's a no-fault state. So you, you also can't there you're limited to what you could fight over. Interesting. Okay. Like um like with like things like infidelity, it's like doesn't really come into play, I believe. Oh, I see. I don't know. Thinking back to my parents' divorce, I don't. I just don't. I don't think that that's something that you could fight over. I think it's a no fault state. 
Interesting. Oh, as in like, there's no fault to this divorce. That's what right. they thought. Okay. I was like, what's no fault mean? Um, that makes a lot of sense. Right. You could still fight over things like money and like yeah. who gets that and, and all of that. That's what I was like, oh, that's kind of And you could cool. drag things on forever if you really want to. Mm-hmm. And I think, and I think some people do that until they run out of money and then it was pointless. Yeah. Damn. Damn. Okay. Yeah. We got dark real quick. We went straight to divorce. I love it. <laughs> But speaking of not divorce, you just had a birthday. I did. Um, my birthday is June 8th. So it just passed. I have been celebrating for days and it's been really fun. Uh, my my celebration on my actual birthday, I got together with friends that I've had for years. And uh, when I was in my early 20s, my like first one of my first professional experiences is that I was in a, a sketch comedy group called Really Sketchy. Love it. And I I'm still friends with with those people and they're they're like constant friends of mine. Like I just kind of know that they're always going to be around. Mm-hmm. And um, but we and you know, we have so much that we reminisce about when we're together, but I like that we're we're also like we try to be committed to creating some new memories too. Yeah. Um, rather than just rehashing all of the old shit. And yeah, we had we have so much fun. But I do drink like I'm 22 years old again when I'm with them. Yeah. And mm-hmm. that's a problem. Uh or it's not a problem. It's just a problem the next day uh when I don't feel like doing anything. And with the with this dust cloud that's been over New York, I definitely was was really feeling it on Friday. Yeah. And then um uh, on Saturday, I got together with my family. I always do a, a birthday celebration with my family. And I went to my sister's house on Long Island. And she has a two-month-old boy and a three-year-old girl. And so they're they're a lot, but they're so, so, so much fun to be around. And then my mom and my aunt were there. And um, they can't go five minutes even at a birthday party without bringing up the holocaust (laughs) oh my god (laughs) they're they're like the kind of jews where like every single thing somehow relates back to the holocaust and there's a some show that they had just watched together Mm -hmm. that that were it was about this old couple who was hiding jews in the walls and my my sister had lit the candles on my cake and she's bringing it over to the table and they're like, happy birthday to you. So the Jews are in the walls and they were saying that they were ghosts. Happy birth. Like it's, they just couldn't stop telling the story long enough to even get through. Oh my happy God. birthday. It was, it was hilarious. I, Cause I, you know, you sit there and as a comedian, I'm watching and like kind of observing from the outside and it's too funny. I, I can't, I can't even imagine. Oh my God. I wonder what show that is. At first I was like, is it Meep? Like the new, the new Anne Frank, but it's from Meep. Uh, um, no, no, this definitely wasn't an Anne Frank story, but I don't know what it was. <laughs> uh, one of my favorite comedians, Marsha Belsky, she has one joke that I'm going to butcher. Um, She's also Jewish. And I can't remember what it is. She's like, she's like, yeah, like 
I'm here because one of my ancestors was like, nope, the vibes are off, like something like that. Um, yes. And I can't, gosh, it's such a good set that she has. And so I'm butchering it. But I just can't imagine kind of having, like we've talked about this before, of like having that constant uh, reminder. And in a way, it's sometimes used against you if you're not like as religious anymore. Um, I think we've talked about this together. Where it's yeah. uh, like there was like the first generation after the Holocaust was like very try to keep tradition. And then the next generation was like, we're 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 kind of walking away. I don't know. I feel like I'm kind of talking out of my ass because I don't no. know much about it. No, I think you're I think you're right. And I I really like a lot of my family's traditions and I want to try to keep them. But at the same time, I don't want to be so impacted and this is this sounds selfish Mm -hmm. but but I think it's not because it it's like part of breaking patterns I don't want to be you know I think my my family was in literal fight or flight for so many generations Mm -hmm. that it starts that it impacts younger generations too and you see it in your personality and in the way that you interact with people And it's like, I want to break away from that so that like, maybe we're not talking about the Holocaust literally all the time, but, uh, you know, (laughs) but I still want to keep a lot of my family's traditions, but no, I'm not religious either. It's, Mm -hmm. it's, yeah, it's a really, it's an interesting balance to try to find. And my sister, uh, married someone who's not Jewish, but who also likes, a lot of the tradition so like watching her try to figure out what she's going to do is interesting yeah I was just gonna ask like does your family want you to marry someone who is Jewish or do they I don't think they care that's that's cool I know uh, (laughs) that also reminds me too of um isn't it Crohn's like Crohn's disease is way more likely you're uh it's way more stomach issues are way more seen in someone of Jewish background. Yeah, and it is a, from like the fight or flight, like constant fight or flight. Yeah, there are I think there are a bunch of issues. I definitely have Jewish stomach. I mm. had last year, I um I I think you remember this. I was losing a lot of weight and it was kind of unexplained. Yeah. And um, some of it was just related to having COVID, but I've never spontaneously lost weight in my whole life. Like this, that is not my body. Yeah. yeah. And, um, and it ended up being, I had four ulcers. Oh shit. And I was That'll like, do how, it. how Jewish is that? <laughs> <laughs> Oh my God. Yeah. It's like, um, Ian Goldstein, who I had on a couple, uh, episodes ago, he has Crohn's and he talks about that a lot. Cause he's also Jewish of just like, um, I guess, yeah, the phrase Jewish stomach, but it is it, when you're stuck in a constant fight or flight. And then that general, I think the biggest thing of, of being a millennial and being in therapy is learning about generational trauma. Cause you yeah. hear that phrase, like you hear it and you're like, yeah, yeah, I get it. It's going to like change. And it's like, no, it's like in you, it's like altered your DNA, your parents, like, and is literally changed possibly your digestive tract to what maybe it should look like or things like that. And that is fucking wild to me. Yeah. And- yeah. I mean, I kind of, I would think that since Jews were on the run a lot, you should 
in order to be good at that, you should have a strong stomach. That's the part of it that doesn't make sense to me. Like if it adapted over time, but maybe it's the opposite. Maybe it's to show you that you've eaten something rotten. We're going <laughs> to make you so sick. Yeah. We're going to make you get rid of it. Um, yeah. Yeah. Generational trauma is something for sure that I've been exploring and um, but to bring it to, back to the theme of your show and also the show that I host, I think that's something that's really interesting to me is mm-hmm. there were so many babies that were born in the displaced persons camp right after the oh, Holocaust. Shit. And I am really happy to know that they were fucking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, me too. That's like what, that's what everyone still wanted to do. I think at the end of the day, like, it's so, like, sex is so funny because we're, it's thrown, it's thrown in us immediately. And then society's like, but it's not important. Don't do it. But it's everywhere. And it's, for a lot of people, it's amazing, right? Um, Unless you're just not that sexual of a person. And like I that's how I'd want to go too. like I hope I to the end I do want to have sex like it is a very important part of a lot of people's lives and that's okay but like the way it's taught or the way it's talked about and like I know you've talked about this on your show and I've talked about on my show of how it's so not okay but it's like truly when like the most natural things in the like the world yeah um that it's like yeah this I'm so glad to hear that like at such a time of like, you know, literal terror, there's still this joy found in places of yeah. within I mean, like I grew your up body. In a really, I grew up in a really open family. And I think that for the most part, unless you're an Orthodox Jew, I think Jews are more open and accepting about sex. Mm. Um, like it's not, it's not the, uh, like the boogeyman that, that it is in, in Christianity. Interesting. Uh, when you're growing up, like there's no, you know, I, I went to Hebrew school all, all growing up. There's no conversation about it. There's no, like, there's nothing about being pure. There's nothing about like, there's, there's really nothing about that. Mm-hmm. And, um, I, I'm really grateful for that because I didn't necessarily have the same experience in, in school growing up where, you know, the whole reason why I started a show about sex ed to begin with is that I had that dichotomy of, My mom was really open. She was a sex ed teacher for a while. She wasn't my teacher though. And when I went to school, we watched Philadelphia to learn that if you have sex, you'll get AIDS. And so I've always found it to be interesting to explore like, why do I think the things that I think? And what are the beliefs that I still have that I can kind of dismantle? And how do I inspire other people to do that too? Because I think- Mm -hmm. Most people are brought up with a certain amount of shame or just um, just this tendency to put things in a box. And, you know, we grew up at a time where purity culture was a huge thing. Dude, purity the, culture. The purity rings. Oh, my God. And, like, I was in Catholic school during that time. And, like, I luckily had, like, a very open family, too, when it came to sex. Uh, so that was really, really helpful but also very, very confusing at the same time. Cause you're like, well, my parents say this, but the teachers say that like, it's such like, I, I talked about this in a previous episode, but like in eighth grade, I was like almost suspended 
because they found out I was like talking to a boy on the phone, not at school, like just on the weekends. And it wasn't me. I was covering for a friend because I knew her parents would lose their shit on her. And like, that's how like Christianity really does, in my opinion, as someone who does not believe anything um, anymore, it really fucks some stuff up. It really fucks you up mentally. And a lot of it is about sex. But even like, even when you're talking about AIDS, I love how like Holocaust, AIDS, like what else can we talk about? Divorce. I remember like my mom used to be a nurse. So she had all these like um, massive like nursing encyclopedias. And I don't remember where I learned or like AIDS from. Like, I don't think it was from my parents at first. I don't think it was a school. I don't see why the school would bring that up. I think it was like literally like a child at the school being like, hmm, AIDS. So I remember looking it up and it was like, it said like you get it from saliva or like this or like that. And I was like, oh my God, which like, I don't think that's true, right? I don't think you can get it from saliva. No, you can't um, get AIDS from kissing. Yeah. And even like, even if you did have sex and protected with someone that does have HIV, it does not mean you're going to get HIV. Like it's like, way but I just remember being like oh my god like I used I'm such a hypochondriac and I was then too and I remember like I drank someone's someone's cup like at like the Christ the Catholic school fair like I have AIDS like I remember being like it's happening I like AIDS was such oh, a big no. part of like my childhood for no reason uh and that, that's the only tidbit to that of like why where did that come from I want to think about that memory more like why because I remember searching in the book being like, I must learn more about this, this disease. Like what do, why do I, do I have it? Um, which is hilarious now to have this like virus where I'm just completely like the head to toe and rashes right now. Um, and, oh and God. still be a hypochondriac about it. But yeah, I really took it a, a way different way than I think you wanted to go with that story. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is also why it's so important to have like real sex ed. Like I went to a Catholic school, like I said, in middle school. And it really was like a nun just being like, don't have sex, become a nun. And to the boys, like become a priest. Like that was it until high school, unless it was stuff I was learning from like my parents, you know? You're so lucky that you were learning from your parents though, because, you know, I mean, most, most people still don't have that. I just had an incredible experience. Um, performing at this sexual health conference in Texas. Mm-hmm. Um, it was called Healthy Futures of Texas. And it was in Houston and it's a statewide conference. And they they brought in, it's, it was mostly like educators and activists and, uh, and people who are uh, fighting for like a, a better sex ed curriculum. Um, so it was mostly people who work in that space, but it was kind of people all over the political spectrum. And it was so nice to, first of all, like make them laugh because they deal with really heavy stuff all day in Texas. Mm-hmm. You know, a, a lot of their conversations is how to get around the laws and actually mm-hmm. provide people with things that they need. Mm-hmm. And, um, and there were some, uh, some abortion activists there too, who, I mean, like what a, what a depressing place to be in. Mm-hmm. And um, and to even have to be secretive about about that and use code about the services that you provide because it's not legal, um, and so it was really nice to make them laugh. But afterwards, after talking about sex ed on stage for an hour, 
to have people stay afterwards and talk about things that I think that they don't usually talk about. That was mm-hmm. so much fun. It felt really rewarding. Yeah. Uh, there were some cowboys and that, that made me happy to see them sitting and talking and um, about, you know, how to be, be more fair to people growing up today and making sure they have the ability to make good decisions because that mm-hmm. I feel like that's what that's what sex ed is supposed to be like it's supposed to like teach you everything that you need to know about yourself and about other people so you can make good decisions but it it doesn't do that it so rarely does mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. I even recently I was thinking about how when they do puberty education when we're really young usually that happens in like fifth grade or sixth grade when it's like, that would have been too late for me anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, because I, I got my period when I was 11 or I got my period in right in between fifth and sixth grade. So if it was, it was 11 in, too, yeah. yeah. So if it was in sixth grade, that's too late. Yeah. Um, I might've even been 10, but which is, a, these are normal ages to get your period. Yeah. So I, I always think about how they separate they usually separate by sex and they teach Mm. boys one thing and girls another thing. And like most men go through their entire lives and they know nothing about our periods. Mm -hmm. And isn't that so sad? And I do, I think that most men today, like if you're growing up now and if you're this younger generation, I think people want to be better. Mm -hmm. And so I, I can only see good things that would happen if men were taught to have compassion when women are in pain every month mm-hmm. and like for the same, this, you know, d- different side of that. Uh, I don't think that we learned what boys go through during puberty either. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, even if that would have been just teaching us how to be more compassionate when they're going through changes and it happens later than us, mm-hmm. you know, you know, there's always like that boy in your grade who's like four foot 10 until <laughs> junior year of high school. Yeah, that was my dad. He was really, really small, I think, until senior year of high school. Um, and yeah, it fucks with you because it's so like so much of it's rooted in like the patriarchy as well. And like, yeah, having to be a man and what does being a man look like um, and things like that. Like, you know, my guy friend group and uh, they're very special people. Uh, They can sometimes be dummies. Like I can sometimes be a dummy, but you can just see how much they try and like, what would they, what would they have known if they had that ability to try at a younger age or had that like access maybe. Um, And like, they're doing for the most part, great. They still mansplain sometimes, um, which they get called out on. But I love when I watch one of them get mansplained by the other one. And they're like, yeah, I understand how that works. And I'm like, I'm glad you now see what it feels like to be taught something that you (laughs) fucking know. But um, I do have a lot of hope for the younger generation. And then watching my friends, dude friends become parents and like becoming parents to like girls and things like that and like what that could look like for the future as well like I have a lot of hope um in like individuals for sure yeah in individuals yeah we have a long way to go in the states for sure yeah but there's I mean even like saying that you saw like different political spectrums coming to this thing specifically about sex like sex was in the title 
and only a few people walked out, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I didn't know how it was going to go because instead they, they hired me a comedian instead of hiring a keynote speaker. But I think it didn't necessarily say that in the advertising, it was Mm -hmm. more of like a, a bait and switch. So it even, it even just took me a few minutes in the beginning to get everyone comfortable laughing. Mm-hmm. And uh, which was like, that's so hard as a performer. Mm-hmm. I'm like, you just know, but you know, you push through the first couple of minutes and then, uh, and then it ended up really working out. And then I, I actually felt pressured because there were a lot of health professionals there. I don't, I always fact check everything that I talk about in my show, but I felt like I had to do even more fact checking than I oh, needed yeah. to do and make sure everything I was saying was completely accurate. Yeah. And also I'm not going to be teaching them anything that they don't know if it's actually about, you know, sex or health or statistics or anything. So I needed to focus on different topics. So I focused more about the culture around sex. And mm-hmm. one thing that I did, one, one part of the show, um, I talked about the history of slang for mm. for vagina mm-hmm. all the things that they've called vaginas through history and I mean it starts with cunt so it's like I'm in Texas and I'm like let's start with cunt and I'm like how's that gonna go right um, but that was the first slang word for vagina from the 1200s and we still think it's edgy today and that's something that I I feel like that says something mm-hmm. of you know like why like why is this still shock this word is still shocking to us for some reason and I, the reason why I went into that was talking about like, what can we learn about what people thought about women through history based on what they called vaginas? And it was, it, I mean, it's fascinating. Yeah. There are different, different eras where like the, the trends were a lot of times they were like infantilized, Mm -hmm. like called like a, well, what do you know? Or a, a flap doodle or a whoozy what's it or like it, you know and but we still do that and we say things like hoo-ha mm-hmm. I was gonna say I use hoo-ha yeah and uh and but you would never infantilize a penis unless you're insulting someone mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. a teeny weeny or something yeah I'm trying to think what I call a ding dong or whatever ding-dong. like you know you would just never do that yeah 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 um, and then the other some of the other trends there were a lot of uh, kind of real estate terms because I like people think of like a vagina as like a home for a penis. It's just like everything was like it's in service of mm-hmm. another thing that's like the the slang for a penis through history is usually it's like a weapon, mm-hmm. like a tool mm-hmm. to be used, and a vagina is just like a an or like a hole. It's a hole. Yeah. Yeah, it is really interesting, like, the actual mechanics of, like, each genitalia, because in a way it does, like, you know, you don't think of a hole and you think of a, you don't think of a hole as a weapon. Like, it's not something you're going to think of, but you can think of it as, like, a trap, or you can think of it as a home, or you can think of it as, like, this or that. Uh, And so it is, in a way, like, biology kind of screws over. A trap is a big, that that is a big friend. I am trying to think of the like the era that it was in, but there were, there was a year where the most popular slang term was the enemy. Damn. <laughs> Damn. 
Yeah, it's really weird to just to see it like so in your face too, just like how much or how many people I want to say hate, but it's more like just afraid of like the power, I don't know, of it all, of just like what it is to be a, a woman or just to have a vagina um, uh, in life and just how much the assault on it has been. And the same, like we're seeing the same thing with like, with like, you know, trans rights right now and like LGBTQIA rights right now, where it's like, they're, they say they hate, but really they're just afraid of what it would look like for anyone that doesn't look like them to have literally just like equality, uh, because to them, equality for other people would feel like they're losing something because of how much they've kept from other people. Yeah. And so it's just really interesting to see this. Like, I mean, it's really, really scary. It's not really interesting. It's really scary to see this cycle. Like where it's, so we're in the same cycle of like the 1970s, 1960s all over again. And like, where does it end? Um, and how much like literal biology, not biology is not the right word. The literal shapes of these like things are like used against us um, yeah. in so many different areas. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, I feel like for my show, the and I and I'm, I know for your show too, bringing on guests that have different experiences than me, I feel like that means a lot to me in in so many different ways. But mm-hmm. a lot of the times, it's just exposing an audience to, you know, mm-hmm. because I because I do have trans friends. Mm-hmm. And, and I, and, and, you know, and I do have gay friends and I, I feel like there's, uh, there's are perspectives that I get to hear all the time, mm-hmm. but if you are in, you know, in Texas and this conference took in people from Texas and Oklahoma and like, maybe those aren't perspectives that they get to hear all the time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, but even in, even in New York, because, you know, or LA, cause those are the two places where I've done this show. Um, there are people who kind of live in their own bubble and they're not really as exposed to other people's perspectives. So it's so nice to be able to bring people together. And then comedy is like, mm-hmm. you know, once you make someone laugh, you are in a way you're on the same team. You've had an exchange mm-hmm. and, uh, and I, I just feel like it helps so much. Oh, absolutely. Like when I started this show, back in 2013 yeah I started the show in 2013 um like the live show part of it I that was like never my intention it was never my intention to like bring because because I only say that because people like applaud me for it all the time and I'm like I need you to understand that I was a 24 23 year old that knew nothing except (laughs) a straight white woman experience and my first show was literally nothing but straight white women except I think one girl that did identify as bi Um, but that was like the whole show for a little bit that was like the tour show for a little bit and like how much I don't know who I'd be or have would understand without this show and like going out of my comfort zone and um booking people that I didn't know that had different experiences um because that's a big part of it like I know you live in New York or like live like you're like born and raised in New York but like I don't know who I'd be if I had stayed in Virginia like my whole life um 
but there was also this like severe need to not be in Virginia anymore too. Like there, I think there's also people that are very aware of like, I know there's more than just this cause this sucks. Um, like no shit on Virginia or like the suburbs, but it was like, I need more. I need to see more, be around more. And even then there's still like a culture shock for years where you're just kind of like, Whoa, like I had no clue. I remember, um, in a sort of past life, I really like shoved myself into it too. I used to be a photographer. So my first time ever in the city, I was an intern at Atlantic Records um, and really was exposed to like a lot of different stuff. But I, one of the photographers, freelance photographers, I did something with him and I hated him because um, I he tried to get me to do other stuff. So I was really good at the job, but I was like, absolutely not. Like, I just won't work with this person again. But one of the things that he did was like these like portraits of strangers, which was really cool. And they'd come and he'd do this like massive, gorgeous portraits. So it would like be in a weekend of literally like 10 different like walks of life. And you'd hear their story and all this stuff. Oh, that's so and cool. It was so cool. But I'd be this deer in those headlights being like, oh, wow, like your family is like in a different country right now. Or like, oh, wow, blah, blah, blah. And then afterwards, he'd be like, you can't talk to people like that. You can't act like it's weird. And I'm like, I'm not acting like it's weird. I'm literally just like, in like asking questions because I've never seen this before. And I think it was a little bit of both. I think it was, he was an asshole, but I think also I was just so, <laughs> I was only 20 and I was just like, what is this? Like, I've never seen this before. Um, and I'm going off on a huge tangent. I'm just like, that's what it's like. That's so, and I can see why people get overwhelmed by the idea of like learning about other people and other experiences, but it's like, you gotta, cause it's like, it's not just you out there, man. Like, it's just, it's everyone. Like, um, yeah, I really let that just like peter out, but you know what I mean? I know you get yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> I do get it. Um, I, I also really enjoy, there have been a few moments where backstage at my shows, I'm watching people hang out that I think normally wouldn't be together. Mm -hmm. That's cool. Yeah. No, that is funny. Um, Backstage is always weird. I'm always like so awkward backstage at comedy shows, like so awkward. Me too. Um, If it's it's my show, because I'm also... I'm doing too many things at once and I'm Mm -hmm. thinking about what comes next while someone else is out on stage. I'm also Mm -hmm. trying to listen to them Mm -hmm. and also be part of the conversation in the green room, but I'm really trying to listen to what's going on on stage so that I can comment on it. Mm -hmm. It's yeah. I feel like I have too much to do and then I end up, yeah, I end up feeling very awkward. Yeah. It's really hard to be the host and the producer and like a performer because then you do, you have to let go of like, well, I can't do the fun stuff in the green room. I've got to work on, like, I've got to be yes. here mentally. And it's the hardest part. Cause you do like, just want to be a part of the group. And like, even like on the tour show and like, you know, I know the people that I hang out with and I'm like, I want to, I want to like hang out with everyone, but it's like, no, I got to like time them. I got to light them. What are they doing? Are they doing different sets? Where am I at? Yeah. Like, are we good on time? Um, yeah, I also can't drink during my shows. Mm-hmm. And, I can, uh, mm-hmm. People always want want me to, and I've had to. I mean, I uh, definitely during I can't. I slur. I slur my words right away. Mm-hmm. I'll have like a sip of wine, and I'm slurring my words. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've always known that about myself, though. So I don't. I don't drink when I go on stage. 
Um, but also I'm just not, I'm not sharp. I'm not sharp enough if I, if I have anything to drink. And I actually feel that way if I'm performing more regularly, like I'll notice it the next day if I've been drinking the night before. I'm mm-hmm. not like, I struggle for my words. I I just am not coming up with the best ideas. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I have not, I've yet to take my show on tour. You know that I want to. So we'll see. <laughs> we'll yeah. See I just won't be drinking on tour. What I do, so I used to drink a lot because I was like in my 20s uh oh on but tour yeah, shows that's, that's what this you know that's what it was but then um oh you you were on this ox ox fest which in 2016 which is such a shit show I almost quit everything because it was so bad but the first night was so so bad that I think I drank like seven glasses of red wine so that by the end because it was like three shows a night so by the end of the show which was like the tour group show I was so hammered that I was slurring my words and I think I was making fun of one of my tour people uh, oh to the point where I was so hung over the next day and I was like mad at them for some reason. And then one of the, one of the people on the tour was like, no, you need to apologize. Like you need to apologize to the other person. And she was even like, mm, I think you have a problem with drinking. And that wrecked me for like a year. Uh, and I really struggled with like, do I have an issue? Um, should I have this show? Am I even good at this? Like I spiraled really hard. Like 2016 was like a, not a good year for a lot of people for a lot of different reasons, but it was like a really bad year. And I literally yeah. almost stopped everything. Um, cause I was like, this is such a disaster. This is supposed to be like my next step up. Um, and it just like, I just like fell on my face. And, um, once I got through of like, no, like, I just kind of have a checklist of like, do am I using this as a crutch? Am I, why am I drinking? What's the intention? So long story short, now on tour, because I want to be my sharpest, I need to like be a little loose to like, you know, talk with the crowd. So I will have one drink. Um, like I'll have a vodka soda. That's always my tour drink. And then I'll drink it throughout the show. But I just fill it with water. So it looks like it's a vodka oh, soda. And then so once smart. the show's done, then I'll drink more. Or once I'm like on stage, because when I'm on stage, I never drink. Like the drink is just there just in case if I have like a coughing attack, then I'll fill like, then I'll get like my second vodka <laughs> Which soda. Which I've had, by the way, on stage. Yeah. Before. Like, you just need the, to have something. It's my biggest fear. It's like never really happened before, knock on wood. Um, but it's like my biggest fear because you really can't, re- it's hard to recover from. Um, and then, yeah, then I have that drink. I barely touch it on my actual set. And then, then I go out and talk to the audience after the show's done. And like, I have such terrible, like social anxiety. That's like, uh, this, this is a crutch that I do kind of need to get through, like talking to all these strangers. Um, but yeah, that's also stuff we could talk about later, but like, I totally get being like, I don't want to drink. And I think it's like, totally, it's what it works best for that person. You know, like some people like now I get high before and I'm like, I would never, like, I've never gotten high before a show. I know I would be a shit show, uh, like smoking weed before a show. Like, I just know. I think I'd be paranoid. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. I like can't smoke anymore. Cause I just feel like I'm having a panic attack, even Mm -hmm. if I smoke like Indica. And I was like, you know what? I'm 34. I, I love that it works for you. I'm good. Like I, I know, I know that my vices that I like, and it's just not that anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I, 
I enjoy a cocktail. It's just not not <laughs> not going to be during a show. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, totally. That's growth, baby. That's uh, a yeah. that's age. Yeah, definitely. But yeah, you've got a show that's like, like I think your show is edgier than my show because your show is like I'm gonna teach you everything you didn't know like mine comes with a like oh this is gonna be a little like <laughs> but this is like no here's some hard facts like that you have to kind of talk about and deal with not deal with but like present in a way that is not intimidating to like these adults that I think some might be like no I love exploring the history of sex and I've been doing it more and more especially now that I have the newsletter on Substack. also mm-hmm. I've been um, you know, doing more deep dives into things like even things like the history of lube, because mm-hmm. I think looking at the history of the products that are sold to us, that even helps like looking at the products that are, you know, the bullshit products that are sold to us today. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, looking at the history of something like birth control, it's interesting that we're fighting about it now when it's something that's been around since the beginning of time so I love doing the history segments because I think it helps put things in perspective mm-hmm. and then I also just like love talking about the culture around sex mm-hmm. and why we think the things that we think mm-hmm. and um you know that to me is like the valuable sex ed that you need as an adult. I mean, I guess you know, the show is called adult sex ed, but I'm not actually teaching sex ed because most people know how to have sex at this point. Mm-hmm. I'm teaching more about how to, how to examine your own sex ed and create a curriculum for yourself. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Um, I've started, I, I, I stayed away for a while from using those like educational terms like curriculum but now I, I'm trying to play with it more in like a sexy teacher kind of way Ooh. Uh, and, and make it fun where, you know, I like, I think that is a good uh, question for the guests who I have on my show is if, if you had one thing that you could add to a sex ed curriculum mm-hmm. for adults, what would be the thing that you would teach? And I asked this question in Texas and I had, I had two guests who I brought up at the end and they were people who work locally. And one of them is a trans man who is a sex educator uh, in Texas. And uh, his, his answer was correct. Was a, his answer of what he would add to the curriculum was anatomy. Mm. And, And it's funny because it's adults, but adults still don't know anatomy and certainly don't know what the anatomy of a trans person can be. Mm -hmm. So, and of course there are so many different, versions of that um Mm -hmm. depending on what surgeries someone has had and you know how does someone's body work and and he was was saying that doctors need that need those lessons too because often he goes to the doctor and has to explain how his own anatomy works Mm -hmm. and like I could just see people in the audience including these straight men in Texas kind of going like, oh my God, imagine having to go to the doctor and explain how your body works to a doctor before mm-hmm. you could get examined or treated for something. Mm-hmm. And so um, I I feel like everyone's going to have a different answer of like, what what would be the thing that they would add to a sex ed curriculum for adults? I don't know what mine would be because I think I have too many, too many <laughs> things that I would add. 
I yeah. mean, like, for me, it would be more about like examining what your blind, your, what your own blind spots are would be yeah. the part of my curriculum. No, that's a good one. Yeah. I think anatomy is a great, like, I know I'm supposed to know like the anatomy of like downstairs for me. And I know maybe like three, four parts, like the actual terms. <laughs> and I like, when I did my show, <laughs> sex with your mom, which is such a weird title. I remember having to like, like I was like teaching myself as I was going and I was like, whoa, like, am I going to remember this? Um, I think I'm so like pro, like all the tools for, for orgasms that I'm like, I always fall on lube of like, I think we talked about this the other day. It was like this, like you can't use like a silicon lube with a silicon toy. Like you're going to like break it and same with like, a. A condom like you're going to break the condom if you use this type of lube and now the condom doesn't work like I remember talking about that with someone and they were like wait what um or even like how some people will use like olive oil or Vaseline and so like what does that mean with like if you're like you know solo play or like with a partner how does this work um olive oil was the original lube yeah yeah. Oh man. Ugh, I just, I just can't, but <laughs> I get it. It's the right texture. It's the right consistency. Yeah. Yeah. Olive oil was the original lube in ancient Greece. Damn. Uh, that feels right. The, yeah. Ancient Greek gaze. Love it. Because Love homosexuality it. was more, you know, they're like, I think historic historians are actually debating on whether or not this is true or it's something that we want to believe that homosexuality mm-hmm. was more accepted then. But it, but it was a big thing. And, uh, so they had to, they had to invent lube. Yeah. So it was olive oil. I want to believe that it's real. (laughs) I, um, don't know if you know this about me, but I'm a big like YA fan, um, especially queer YA. And, um, it's great. And there is this one, the movie is coming out in August. I'm super excited. Red, white, and royal blue. And it's about, they're like adults, adults. So they're like early twenties. Um, like just graduating college and he was going through, he talks about like, I mean, I don't think any of it's real, but he's like, I think Thomas Jefferson like may have been gay. And so they do like this correspondence for a little bit where they're having clips of like uh, these like same sex friends uh, in these like real letters that are like very sexual and like wanting. And you're like, okay. Okay, Eleanor Roosevelt, like, yeah. And so oh, I- Oh, Eleanor Roosevelt was definitely yeah. gay. <laughs> I'll have to find some, like, I'll have to send some of you of some pictures of them because it was like some people, other people too. I think there was like Benjamin Franklin. Because like, so red, white, and royal blue, like one is like the first son of the president and the other one is like the Prince of England. So that's why there's like a historical factor to oh. some of these letters. Um, but- Benjamin Franklin was super horny. Yeah. And owned, See, and owned a brothel. Know. I don't think I knew that. I don't know about gay. I don't have no, that I don't know, but he was super horny. He owned a brothel. I think he probably just like fucked everything that moved. He's it's rumored that he died from syphilis. Mm, okay. um, and he, uh, one thing that he's quoted as saying, which I thought was disgusting is that he preferred to have sex with older women because uh they they sh- it's like something like they show more gratitude like oh okay Ooh. like because no one else will have sex with them or something like that wow wow ben that's yeah. lame 
Um, all the founding fathers were pretty horny, I think. Yeah, it turns out all the founding fathers were like horny and assholes. Like, were yeah. they incels? Were they just kind of <laughs> incels? Um, no, that's so funny. I do. I really can see a lot of historical figures with that type of power and also that type of money. Yeah, I think you're gonna experiment. You're gonna like, like have. I don't want to be like have some fun, but I think you're going to be open to a lot of different experiences. Um, and I think that's what we're seeing now. And for our youth is like, there is an openness of not wanting to be stuck in one category, which is great. Like there's such a fluidity to it. And I wonder if that's cyclical as well. I mean, I hope it's not cyclical. I hope it doesn't go away, but I wonder mm-hmm. if that was something that we definitely saw in the past before, like more puritanical, like ideologies were kind of pushed on people. The I haven't done that much in the way of research on that for my show. The only segment that I did was, um, you know, uh, like it was that ancient Judaism recognized eight genders. Oh, and so and and it's it, oh sorry, there's a a siren outside. Oh, don't worry, it's, it's literally it's remote recording. It's New York. Um, we both live in the city. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, ancient Judaism recognized eight genders and, and I think a lot of the ancient cultures did too. And, um, in the research that I did, it like explained things like, uh, why monks, even like Christian monks were technically considered to be non-binary and like being the more like close you were to to god like the less likely you were to be trapped by um the rules of gender and yeah it it everything that i read was really interesting and i definitely want to read a lot more about it because i mm-hmm. think that yeah it I, these are things these are concepts that ancient people were um seemed to be more open than than people today mm-hmm. and I don't think it was just Christianity that that limited it I think it was probably all of the world religions and obviously that's just rooted in in patriarchy and you know mm-hmm. all of that but um but I feel like I haven't done enough research on it yeah like that feels like truly like a dissertation like type level of like like getting yeah. into it yeah Something you know. that's always hard for my show is researching all of these things, but then I have to make it funny. And it, yeah. and sometimes, sometimes I just don't, you know, sometimes it's just not that funny and I don't, <laughs> and no. I don't, don't end up turning it into a thing. But that's kind of like, but that's what's cool about the show. It's like, here's this person's going to do a funny bit. And then here's like some real stuff I'm going to walk, walk away with and like, remember, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's okay to have that like juxtaposition of like subject matter. Um and it's probably actually a really good way, like really good tool to learn or sorry, really good ter- tool to use to learn. Yeah. 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 I mean, I remember like the kids entertainment or the like educational things from when we were young. Like it's mm-hmm. funny. Yeah. Like, school bus is definitely funny. Miss Frizzle. She's exactly. Funny. Like she was very, she was very sexy too, I think. Um, yeah, I feel like that's a reductress article that I've seen before. Like, I've definitely seen Mrs. Frizzle, like, on a reductress article, and now I can't think of what the title was. But, 
Yeah, that's how people like that's how people learn. Like that's a good way to teach, you know, to make like a solid like um impact. Fuck yeah. No, your show's great. And you've got another show coming up in June, right? I do. I have June 22nd at the Midnight Theater. And it's my first time uh doing the show there, uh, which is a location that I'm really excited about. It's like right in Hudson Yards basically a block away from Madison Square Garden. It's really uh, convenient for a lot of people to get to. And um, it's going to be so much fun. Uh, I, I'm i firming up what I'm talking about at the show uh, this week. But one thing that I'm doing that's new that I've never done before is we're going to watch a sex ed video from the past. Oh, uh, yeah. That with all my guests and talk about it. So after... After I do, you know, I'm going to do a stand-up set and I have my guests doing doing sets and I'm doing these lessons in between. Uh, we're going to wrap up the show by watching this sex ed video that I found from the 90s. I love it. I will be there. Um, so if anyone's listening, you should absolutely go to, and I'll have like the link, the ticket link in the bio. But um, so we've done, we've talked about it for about an hour. And usually at this time, I do like to ask the guests like, is there anything that we didn't talk about that you wanted to talk about? Um, no I, pressure to like, I feel like I, this always some, some people and it's like, this isn't like a gotcha. No, we could, I mean, I did think our conversation from the other night was funny about what people want to share with us after shows because, Oh yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. I feel like we should talk about that just cause it's funny. Yeah, no, it does. Uh, I think the last thing someone told me, I think it was like, they like had kids and also had stepkids and like how hard it was to have a lot of kids. Like it wasn't like sex related, but it was like, cause a lot of my, I have a, I have a new set where I talk about being afraid of pregnancy. So now I have a lot of moms coming up after me, after, up to me afterwards. And they're just like, oh no, everything you said is a hundred percent correct. And then you're like, no, no, that's not what you're supposed to tell me because part of this is supposed to be like a joke. And they're like, no, the things you are scared of, you should be very afraid of. Like you are right. Um, but then you have a lot about like sex stuff too. Yeah, I people people stay after the show and they want to tell me their deepest, darkest secrets. But this mm-hmm. happens to me in life too. This isn't, it's not just my show. I feel like this is a thing that happens no matter where I am. If I'm on a plane, if I'm in a bar, I just like have that face. I have mm-hmm. the opposite of resting bitch face. People want to tell me about their lives. And I I like it. I, I like, I really enjoy it. Mm-hmm. But after my show, there will always be someone who stays after and tells me a weird thing. Mm-hmm. I had a man come up to me after a show and tell me that he had a botched circumcision when he was young. Oh my God. I, I have, which I mean, that sounds terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, ha- I have people who want to stay after and they talk to me about their sexual dysfunction or they want to talk to me about, um, you know, that they've been married for 20 years and they've never had an orgasm. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I have people who just like want to tell me about the freakiest thing they've ever done, which I cut that I enjoy. That's really fun. I was about to say, I feel like you get way more technical stuff, which I feel like is way harder to talk to a stranger with like right, I definitely get I'm a lot of actually like, an expert mm-hmm. that's they, the, that's the whole thing is that I'm a comedian and I I did I did start at a certain point making sure that that is like so clear 
when you're at one of my live shows that like, I'm not a doctor, I'm not a, <laughs> right. so, so I did start to get that a little bit less after the show, except, you know, people want to tell me about, you know, their, the freakiest thing they've ever done, or like they, that they've been arrested for trying to have sex in a cemetery or, you know, something oh crazy God. like that, which I, I love those stories. Like it, that it, to me is so much fun. And now I talk about freezing my eggs mm-hmm. uh, on my show, or at least I mention it, even if I'm not telling the whole story. And so I have people staying afterwards to tell me about their experience with that. I really, I really do love it. I love talking with people after the show. Um, and, you know, as long as they have an understanding that I'm not a doctor and I can't help them with anything, <laughs> it's fine. Yeah. And you know what, that's a really, that's a really important part of this too. Cause like, I love the goss. I want to know everything. So I also get like a lot of friends messaging me and it's like clinical stuff. And it's like, y'all, you know, I have a bachelor's in journalism. I have a bachelor's in print journalism. Like, don't please contact your gyno. Like a lot of times it's me sending them to the gyno that I use that I'm like, Hey, maybe they'll take your health insurance (laughs) because yeah, there's a lot of things that could be happening. I am I am here to affirm it's not, you're not crazy if you think something's off, but like, I cannot give you medical advice. Um, And that's always the hardest. Like when you were talking about that, that's when I was like, oh yeah, this is why it's harder with me for friends. It was a relationship step. Hell yeah. Like, let me, let me at it. Um, But actual clinical stuff, it's like, no, 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 please go see your doctor. doctor. Yeah. Go right now. Yeah. Please, please. Yeah, people always are in I I I like that I've reached a point in my life where I I mean I'm so grateful for my friendships. I have really great friends and I like that people are really open with me. And this show has definitely increased that and and especially my girlfriends are really open with me about, you know, whatever is going on with them health-wise and uh people love to tell me about their sex lives. Um, but yeah, it does create those awkward situations where Mm -hmm. you realize that someone is oversharing something with you that they should probably be sharing with a professional. (laughs) Right. It actually used to happen to my mom a lot too, because she was a nurse. So she's like, I've sent, she's like, I've seen so many pictures of my friend's penises that I'm like, please go to your doctor. And now I don't know. Can you hear it? There's like very loud music outside. No, I can't. And like bells. Uh, it's the Puerto Rican day parade oh maybe it's that maybe that's That's it today oh yeah oh yeah I used to live in first avenue on um in east harlem and that was always such a fun day um but yeah oh my god yes if you have any questions people go to a medical health professional like yeah yeah talk to your friends they may have had a similar experience but they most likely also may not have had the same exact experience so you should go talk to a medical health professional yeah but we'd love to hear about it Yes, I want all the gossip, for sure. Mm-hmm. Also, I mean the the other result of people telling me their their shit all the time is that I realize that I'm kind of boring. Like it Ooh. does make me feel boring, in you know, in the things that I've done or that I feel like I still need to do. Mm-hmm. And I think there is a, a sort of pressure that that comes with that of like, oh, I'm a comedian and I talk about this stuff all the time and what if I don't have any new stories to tell because I just don't 
I don't feel like I, I have to do something so crazy all the time mm-hmm. and, uh, with sex or with anything else. Um, but you know, I, of course I still have the past stories to draw from and I'm single now, so I'm going to have some new ones. I'm sure. Oh yeah. But there is like this pressure, uh, cause it, it, even if it's in just our minds of like being like, oh, I am supposed to be some sort of like expert in this area. To the point that like when I did my sex ed game show, the first one, I was like, Aaron, like hours before, hours before the show, I was like, we need to have anal. Like we've never done anal. We need to do it right now. And he was like, I'm sorry, what? And he's like, no, we need to. And so did it completely wrong. Like I literally was just like, yeah, just get back there. And it was like, wasn't warmed. I wasn't warmed up and he did nothing wrong. He literally was following directions, but truly like, I think half of a centimeter got in or near. And I was screaming bloody murder. Cause I was like, Nope, Nope, this hurts. I hate this, but it truly was in my mind. I was like, I'm about to host this sex ed game show. And I haven't had anal. I think I should have anal. And I don't even think that counts. I kind of do count it. Aaron's like, Hmm, I don't know if that counted. I was literally in in a smidge for like a second, but it was like my motive was because I was about to host that show. Like, I think you were there. I think you were there that show. I'm sure I was. I can't like, yeah, a lot of friends came that one and it was like, hmm, yeah, this was not necessary. Why did you do that to yourself? That's so funny. (laughs) Yeah, no, I do. I do totally feel, I don't feel pressured to do anything specific I I, but I do feel I do feel like when I'm I wonder sometimes if when I'm having sex with someone new Mm -hmm. if they just expect me to be really good at it Mm. and the truth is that when you're having sex with a new person it's almost always awkward oh yeah awkward but you have to figure out someone's body like I don't I don't think it's always the same I think that you're you're discovering a new a new person new uh a new rhythm new positions all like it's not going to be great no there is actually fun but it's you know it's not the best oh yeah I remember reading a Cosmo article that was like if you have great sex with this person straight out the gate it's a red flag and I was like what and then I had great sex with someone straight out the gate and it turned out to be like an awful relationship. And I was like, oh, I should have listened crazy. to Yeah, he was crazy. <laughs> I was like, should have listened to that one Cosmo article that was correct about sex. Um, but it is because it is literally like you don't know this person, you are nervous, they're nervous, you've never seen their bodies, you don't know your what each other likes yet. So you're in a very like um awkward phase. And so it should be a little awkward. Like it should. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I never want anyone to find out about the show that I host and then think that I am an expert or think mm-hmm. that I am going to be better than anything they've ever had. Like, I, I feel like that would be way too much pressure. Mm-hmm. And also that I like, I don't know everything. There's yeah. so much that I don't know. And there's so much that I haven't done. And like, I, you know, I don't, you shouldn't expect either that, you know, I wouldn't want anyone to feel intimidated on like on their part either that like they, they think that I'm super experienced or something because it's not necessarily true either. 
Yeah. Well, I think we can blame sex in the city for that one. Cause anytime they had sex, it was almost always like perfect. Like anytime I'm rewatching sex and city right now, because I can't leave the house. And that is one of my go-tos when I can't leave New York, like my apartment in New York city. And Samantha has great sex every time, yeah. every time. And it's like, that's coming not how. back. I know. I never thought that would happen. It's just a cameo, but, but it's um, enough. It shows nothing without her. I know it's not the same. So this is going to be interesting yeah. Um, because she was like, I'm never coming back. I think if there's a season three, I think she'd be in season three, like as recurring. Oh, I hope so. Yeah, we'll see. I, I don't know that there should be a season three because let's see season two first. But oh, man, I fucking loved and just like that. They overcorrected so hard and I lived for it. Like, it's so bad. It's great. It was like, it's a, a little bit of a train wreck watching, but like yeah. I was down like, yeah. yeah. I, I don't think there's ever been a more memeable character on TV than Che Diaz. Oh, I'll have to show you my Che Diaz shirt from their comedy concert tour. Oh my God, I'm so glad you have one. Yeah, <laughs> I immediately had to buy one and I only wore it like twice, but I fucking love that shirt. Cool, like comedy concert. Yeah, um, I, it, it was so like, you can tell the writers are so out of touch. Like they took the notes of like, oh, we didn't do this. We didn't do that in the actual show. And they just were so out of touch that it's like, oh, look at you try. Like, look at you. And I just, I don't know. I had a blast watching it. Yeah, it was really fun. But this has been a great episode. Um, and I can't wait to see your show on June 22nd, right? June 22nd? Yeah, June 22nd. It's at 7 p.m. at the Midnight Theater in New York City. Amazing. Yay. Well, I will be there and can't wait to talk more. Yay. Thank you again so much for listening. Thank you so much for listening to my diatribe. Is that the right word I want? Uh, in the beginning, my epilogue. Uh, not epilogue. Oh, my God. Can you tell I'm so sick? My monologue about myself. But I guess you know, that is the perk of having um, a podcast is you do get to talk about yourself a lot. But I think that's why most of us have podcasts, right? Like, let's just be real about it. Like, that's why. Thank you so much for listening. Remember to rate, like, subscribe, download, go follow Danny. Go go get your tickets for her show on June 22nd at Midnight Theater. Go follow Adult Sex Ed. Go learn some sex ed, y'all. And then again, come see us at Black Cat on Friday, June 16th, and then Punchline Philly, June 28th. And y'all, I can't wait to hang out. I can't wait to see more you at shows. It's really cool to run into fans. It's, uh, again, another very humbling, surreal experience. Um, And I will talk to y'all in two weeks. 